Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with award-winning journalist and digital media strategist Randy Ryland. He also is a contributing writer about innovations for Smithsonian.com. We talk about the emergence of artificial intelligence and the controversial role it's playing in law enforcement and the judicial system. Randy, uh, you've done several articles and, and looked into the whole idea of artificial intelligence. But let's let's try to define it for my audience. Uh, if you could try to define augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence, and talk to us a little bit about the differences between the three. Yeah. Um, well, artificial intelligence is really uh, software in which a machine uses algorithms to make decisions. And... Uh, you know, this is now used in so many ways in our daily lives from, you know, what shows up in your Facebook feed to your credit score. Um, just really a simple explanation of it. Uh, computer engineers, they create software that inputs data into a machine and, and the computers learn to identify patterns from that data. Um, and this has evolved into something that's uh, known as machine learning. And that's where computers actually learn by analyzing millions, millions of patterns and then make decisions based on that. And and learning part actually comes from making wrong decisions and, and learning from that. So, you know, the idea that this can be very efficient and and uh, make uh, bring a lot of speed to processes and reduce costs um, and uh, you know, the other side of it is it's seen as a way to reduce and eliminate human bias. Um, you know, let the emotionless, subjective machines make the decisions. Get this out of the hands of humans. So that's artificial intelligence. Um, augmented reality is where you get data that, um, or you get information that's superimposed on uh, uh, a real situation, a real location. So uh, again, to present it simply, um, the idea is I might go into a museum and uh, if there's uh, augmented reality that's that's functioning there, uh, I could on my phone as I walk by a particular exhibit have more information about that exhibit sent into my phone. And, and so it augments the reality of just looking at that exhibit. You get additional information. And that's a real you know, simple example of it. With virtual reality, uh, it really involves changing uh, the the environment in which you are, uh, in which you see things. So essentially, you put on a headset, and the world changes. It creates this whole new world of imaginary things that feel very real. Um, nonetheless, it's not real. And the idea is, it allows you to experience something that. Uh, uh, say a location, um, you know, one, one popular uh, application of augmented reality is allow people, allowing people to go to uh, an exotic location and feel like they're there by, you know, just through the headset. So uh, it, it's essentially taking you to a different world or a different situation. 
Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's the short definition of it. Now, now f- just from your short definitions, it seems yeah. to me that virtual reality, the uh, person is put into a location or situation. In augmented reality, they are receiving data that they can process through their right. own eyes and brain to to get additional information. Right. Artificial intelligence, however, is something that uh, is invisible to them in many ways. You right. get the result, but you don't get the process. Would right. That, would exactly. that be right? That's that's exactly right. And and uh, you know the way it's generally worked is that. Uh, the people who create the algorithms that are the basis for art- artificial intelligence are are computer engineers, and and uh, they um, you know convent in, in over time um, or uh, traditionally their role has not been to uh, think about ethical or legal ramifications. Their role has been to make sure that it works, and and essentially um, uh, the problem has been that. Uh, uh, sometimes um, uh, there are repercussions and and unintended consequences that happen after the fact, uh, and unfortunately, then it may be too late. Well, uh, people again uh, they wonder, and I hear this in dinner conversation from people who uh, are not around technology a lot. They say, "All oh, all of a sudden, I looked at something." I looked at an ad for something, and then for the next week, it pops up on my Facebook page. Or right. every time I do a search for something, there's the company, or there's the object, or there's right. uh, – and they wonder how possibly this can be. That's all through artificial intelligence, correct? Absolutely, because you've created a pattern, uh, and the machine is saying, oh, this person – looked up this particular product. So I guess they're interested in this product. So um, uh, in the case of Facebook, we have a deal with advertisers uh, so that we'll promote their product to those people who have shown an interest in it. And and again, you could say it's all well-intended. They're just trying to help someone out, help someone find something that they've shown an interest in. But, you know, it, it gets into all kinds of issues of invasion of privacy and uh, people feeling like they're they're uh, too much is being shared uh, about their personal preferences, and you know, people uh, also uh, they use a uh, uh, mobile device perhaps to look up something that's not even on Facebook, but right. then the next day they get a Facebook ad <laughs> for the very right. same thing. Right, 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 and and that's the thing that. Um, you know, you made the point before that it just kind of uh, all functions in the dark, and that essentially is what happens. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, all the uh, these patterns are being processed and processed so quickly and shared uh, that that you know different uh, systems can learn a lot about you very quickly and then act on that knowledge, and that's what that's what's happening a lot. Let's talk about the advertising side of this just a bit, and then I want to get on to some specific uses. But uh, advertisers in the old days would put something in a newspaper, put something in a magazine, 
put something on television and it was like throwing something against the wall. They hoped they hit a target. Right. Uh, and it was certainly not specific. Uh, with digital advertising, especially through artificial intelligence, uh, it, it can be as precise as possible. Right, right. As, right. as to targeting. Yes, and and that's the you know that's the beauty of it, but that's also the curse of it. Um, uh, you know the model, the the company that certainly has built its its whole model on this is Google. Um, Google's intention was to provide access to information, but in doing so, they also uh, sold ads that were related to what people's searches were. And, and the whole point of it was to get that precision. Um, and, and as you know, in, in you know, all kinds of medium, um, uh, it was very imprecise right uh and and you sold more than you could prove um you could say that x number of people read this magazine and it was based on some formula but you didn't know how many people read that no, magazine. You um, didn't. whereas in this case you know exactly how many people have requested a certain thing or clicked on an ad uh and and that's the part of it that again is really valuable to advertisers um the appeal to the advertisers is that precision and that ability to target to individuals based on what their desires are, what their interests are. Uh, it makes a future sale that much more likely. But if you're on the other end as a consumer, you feel like, boy, these people know way too much about me. And how do they know this much about me? And how do they know so quickly? Uh, and, and it's very disconcerting to a lot of consumers now. Let's move out of the consumerism and the advertising uh, area and, and move into some of the specific uses for artificial intelligence. And today I'd like to concentrate on its use in law enforcement uh, since we have so many issues of law enforcement and race uh, going on in the country at this point. How is it being used in law enforcement? How is it being used uh, in the courts and with mm -hmm. what success? Okay, there's a uh, there's a model of software called PredPol, and and this is something that's called it's related to something called predictive policing, and the idea this was created a, oh, a number of years ago, about ten years ago, uh, by scientists at UCLA for the Los Angeles Police Department, and the thinking was if we can take data based on police uh, statistics, police arrests, police activity, and use that to zero in on where crimes may be committed, maybe we can be more effective. And maybe we can eliminate the human bias in the process. And that was the thinking. And it was, you know, all well-intended. Um, and and it, it focused uh, not on who might be committing a crime, but rather where and when a crime might be committed based on the data it had gathered. Uh, and, and it got to the point where uh, officers at the beginning of their shift were given maps saying these could be hot areas during your shift based on what we know, based on what this, uh, uh, this uh, computer algorithm is saying. And they were encouraged to patrol those areas and ask people questions in those areas. Um, and it was seen as this is a new wave of policing. Um, now, there's, there's uh, I think it's at 
at least 60 different police departments around the country that use Redpoll to some degree. And, and, you know, some of them certainly swear by it, um, saying that it helped them reduce crime. Uh, there have, there have been, uh, there's been some research that suggests that, uh, that really hasn't been the case. Um, uh, there was actually, um, uh, a group called human rights data analysis group, and they, they applied PredPol to crime data from Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was not, they did not use, uh, I should point out that Oakland does not use PredPol, but they applied what they knew of the algorithms to the crime data there. Okay. And, and the algorithm recommended the police deploy officers to neighborhoods with mostly black residents. And, and so, uh, the suggestion was that what you were doing was creating a feedback loop that, that the data that you were using was based on past police behavior, uh, where they had been active before, where they may have made arrests before. And as a result of that, that's what the algorithm was working with. And so it was reinforcing the behavior of the past and at the same time um, uh, making sending officers where they would have been going anyway. But now it had the authority of this, you know, this algorithm right. uh, to, to support that behavior. And, uh, you know, PredPol will, they'll make the case that uh, overall it, there's not a bias in it, but uh, there are more and more questions being raised about this. How do you make it so that you eliminate that bias? Because the data has to come from somewhere. Um, so what data is that? Now, one thing that, is happening or has happened uh, more recently is they've not they're they're staying away from uh, police action that's initiated by the police. For instance, drug busts, um, and they're focusing more on actual crimes that are reported, uh, so that the the data isn't being affected as much by police behavior or police investigations, but rather that some crime has been committed. Those kinds of crimes would be something of more of an immediate nature, a uh, rape, a sexual assault, a, a robbery, or a burglary, right. something right. of that nature, a homicide. Right, exactly, where there is, there is a crime that's been reported and been investigated, but it, again, it hasn't been initiated by the police. And so that's helped some, but there's still real concern about um, you know, what biases might be baked in to the algorithms. And, it, and it's complicated by the fact that most of the software is proprietary. Um, Meaning and, and that the company that creates it and designs it doesn't have to tell anyone how right. it works or what's in it. Right, exactly. And and uh, they, they don't want to do that because, you know, they need to protect their secrets in their minds. Um, so it, it's considered having, it's considered like a black box that no one's quite sure why it works the way it works. And complicating things even more is that as artificial intelligence becomes more sophisticated, uh, machines will be making decisions that even the engineers who wrote the algorithms won't be able to explain. Uh, essentially, the machine follows its, its own learning. And, and, you know, so it becomes even more complicated because now even the people who wrote the software can't fully explain why a machine made a decision. So let me just say this another way. The, the yes. machine processes morph 
based upon what they have done and the outcomes of what they've done beyond the original design. The, the, the machine learns from itself and adapts new algorithms or new formulas in relationship to that. Is that right? Right. That's right. That's right. And, and that gives a lot of people pause. You know? <laughs> we'll be back after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change, they're hungry for it. The Scripps College of Communication was awarded $878,000 by Ohio University for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's Game Research and Immersive Design Lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of equipment, processes, intellectual property, and award-winning scholars and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. The profiling idea uh, of this, uh, even though it's not individual, that's got to be upsetting to a lot of civil rights groups and, and mm -hmm. civil liberties groups, correct? That's right. That's right. Uh, the, the ACLU has raised uh, questions about this. Um, and, uh, you know, and a lot of it, uh, there's actually a group now uh, at NYU called the uh, – AI for Artificial Intelligence, AI Now um, Institute. And it's looking specifically at how uh, artificial intelligence affects society, particularly as it relates to the use of it by public agencies, um, you know, police departments, health departments, those sort of things. And, and it gets back to that whole issue of uh, unintended consequences and, and profiling, as you, you, know, you raised that point. How does this uh, impact um, the uh, attitudes or behaviors of officers? And, and let me expand that a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah, officers who just word of mouth or anecdotally know that they're in a high crime neighborhood right. or a, a bad neighborhood, uh, they go in with a bit of an attitude sometimes. Right. right. Uh, but but that's not using artificial intelligence. That's just using their instincts and perhaps common sense. Right, uh, right. This would seem that if told that they're going into a high-risk area, um, do they act the same? Are they more aggressive? Or are they just hypervigilant? How, how has that worked out? Well, I think, you know, it varies from department to department, but I think the, the, the question there, and one thing that's been observed, is that there's a sense that there's more authority because, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. deferential to the machine. Uh, it's not me. The machine said there'd be crimes here. And, and, uh, and, and someone else uh, I spoke with uh, who's done research on this, uh, he had suggested that uh, people, there may be the tendency to respond to people in a community less as people, 
and and more as okay this has been identified by artificial intelligence as a high crime area something that you know as you point out the officers already know right. but but they feel like uh, uh, okay so it's not my decision here um, I'm not trying to pick on you I'm just doing what the machine suggested and and when you know with the use of Pred Paul in with the LA Police Department. Uh, where the officers are told to go to areas and ask more questions of people. Well, you know, asking questions can certainly evolve into harassment. Um, and, and I think there's that whole notion that uh, this is not my decision. It's a decision being made by, you know, this, this uh, objective artificial intelligence machine. And therefore, um, my bias is not a part of this. <sighs> When you look at artificial intelligence and it, all of the data from a million different data points that go into these uh, uh, algorithms, what is the thought of this being used to potentially identify potential terrorists or potential mass shooters or potential school shooters or, or aberrant behavior like that? I mean, I think that um, I, I don't know specifically what the, uh, uh, you know, the investigatory agencies are doing. Uh, I I'm, I'm don't doubt, though, that this is based on, again, it's based on patterns. It's based on uh, behavior. It's based on getting data um, and, and running that, all the data they can gather and say, okay, based on what we know, this person might be more likely to behave a certain way. And it now, might be from search engine uh, cues or from be. Facebook posts or tweets or any number of sources. I'm just right, right, making right. that and realistic for the audience. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing that you hear more often is that when uh, people are coming into the U.S., um, there's there are more questions being asked about their, their social media habits. Um, uh, and, and that's seen as a way to gather this data. Find out where the person is, what websites are going to, what sort of comments they're making, who they're communicating with, and and it is a way to again build or trace patterns and make decisions based on that. Um, you know, but but what people will tell you, and, and this is from a person who actually uh, uh, has created a uh, predictive policing uh, tool. He said, you know, these shouldn't be the machines should not be making decisions. The machines should be there to help people make decisions. And, and the problem comes, again, when you're completely deferential to the machine and saying, based on what we have here, you could be a terrorist. Um, you know, there, there are, it's only a, it only should be a component of making that sort of evaluation. And, and I think that's where, the, you know, we run into the risk where we say, okay, we're gathering all this data. It gives us a level of precision we couldn't have had before. So let's make our decision based on this. Okay. So in back uh, in a few years ago, there was a program called Compass. Is that right? Yeah. yeah it was supposed yeah. to help judges make sentencing decisions. Right. Right. Now, right. As, as a former judge, I just found this alien to my sense of individualized justice, but. How did this work? Well, basically, um, it 
used the data they had about different suspects, uh, people who have been charged with crimes and had a criminal record, and said that based on on what patterns they could establish, uh, certain people were given um, uh, were, were determined to have more likelihood of committing a crime in the future. Now, they didn't say that they would commit a crime, but that they were considered a higher risk based on their history and the data about their history. And, and what that um, resulted in, um, ProPublica did an analysis of uh, this, what, what this software tool was doing in Broward County, Florida. And it ultimately found that um, only 20% of those people who were predicted to commit a violent crime over the next two years actually did so. So, you know, of all the people that the, uh, the algorithm said would likely commit a violent crime in the next two years, only 20% did. And the other uh, conclusion, one of the other conclusions, is that, that uh, blacks were and African-Americans were twice as likely to be falsely predicted to commit a crime. So that it made mistakes twice as often with African Americans than with you know with white uh, suspects. Well, I I don't want to sound like a luddite on <laughs> on all of this. I, I certainly don't. Uh, and I want to talk to you again in the future about other aspects of artificial intelligence, but. Would you say that we're just at the initial steps of all of this? And so perhaps some of the problems that we've been going through will be worked out over over time? Um, I, I, I think so. I, I mean, I think they're, you know, we're, we're really in a whole new ballgame here. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think that the intent, you have groups like AI Now saying, okay, whoa, slow down here. Before we, everyone embraces this and says this is the way we do business. Um, uh, I think there is there is more uh, intent to look at the potential consequences, um, uh, to look at where bias could be part of the system. Uh, there are there are more efforts to uh, when someone's creating an artificial intelligence tool or an algorithm to. Uh, uh, Ask certain questions like, "Where is this data coming from? How is it going to be used? How will, will it be interpreted? Uh, how will we explain it to the people who will use it? What will be their responsibility in explaining it to the community?" Um, you know, when it comes to predictive policing, I mean, that's one thing that that people have been saying. Look, if you're going to use this tool, first you better understand how it works, and secondly, you should. Be, you should be accountable to the community and say, we are using this tool so they know. And, and then uh, also open it up to audits by, by outside engineers who can say, okay, here's the results we've had, and this is what we think about it. Now, you know, that's a big issue when you have proprietary software. Yeah. But, um, you know, but I think that the feeling is, look, we can't just keep on going down the road we're, we're on right now. One could certainly check the results, if not going back to the proprietary software and and work backward on an audit. Exactly, exactly, and that's you know that's one of the things they're pushing for. Um, you know, I think as I I alluded to before, a lot of times with artificial intelligence, what or any technological innovations, um, 
the whole matter of, of legal and, and ethical ramifications is something that you address only when there's a problem later. Uh, and the law is always behind. Right, these, exactly. These kinds of – technology moves so fast and the law moves so slowly by comparison. Right, exactly. And and that's the problem we're running into where and, – and people kind of put, uh, you know, in some ways a blind faith in the technology. Um, boy, this stuff I can't understand, so it must be great. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it, it certainly there are great, great benefits. But I think now people are looking at it and saying, okay – but there are some potential costs here, and there's some things we don't really understand about how it affects decision making. And, and you know, in the interest of uh, trying to be efficient and speed things up and cut costs, we're turning so many decisions over to machines. Um, and and uh, before we, we make that the, the basis of our, our society and the way we operate, let's, let's look at this more carefully about where this might be going, and and you know where there can be consequences. We're turning it over to machines in the area we've been talking about today, in an area that's totally human driven. You you have the the perpetrator, you have a, a victim, you have a police officer, you have a, a, a judicial system, you have a judge. All of these are human factors right. uh, in in the criminal justice system. Uh, and turning that over to machines totally, uh, it, I feel, is problematic. It, you know, machines can help guide, perhaps, uh, right. help uh, nudge along, take some of the, the questions out of the formula. But uh, it's a human-driven system. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, that's absolutely the case. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, people looked to using algorithms because they saw that they saw the imperfections and the potential for corruption and all those sort of things in that human-driven system. Um, but the the problem is, it's often the case there's the risk of swinging too far the other way. Um, you know where the pendulum goes and says, "Okay, we're going to turn it all over to machines," which right. you know it, it it creates different types of problems. Randy, I know this is a topic that uh, you're keeping up with. Uh, I'd love to talk to you again about another aspect. We didn't even get into the medical field and some of the other fields. Uh, would you be willing to do that in the future? Absolutely, Tom. It's, uh, you know, it changes so quickly, but uh, I think it's important for people to understand uh, how it's really pervasive in our lives now. And, and most of us don't fully appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for our conversation today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it, too. Take care. Today, we've been talking with journalist and digital media strategist Randy Ryland about the role of artificial intelligence in our criminal justice system. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, 
please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.